Good morning. Okay, yeah, I know you gave me a little bit, but I, I didn't give you my full energy. So I'm so thankful that we're able to be together. Um, for those of you who are guests, I'm Pastor Sean, and uh, Pastor Ranjour and I share the preaching, the bulk of it, but all of the pastors, we have five of us, and uh, we have the privilege of being able to bring you God's Word. Uh, today, I have the privilege of starting a new series for us. Uh, normally, what we do is we go through books of the Bible, and we just allow the books of the Bible to kind of tell us where we're going to go. Every now and then, especially over the summer, we might take a small break in order to go through a specific series. So we've just been in three weeks of focusing in on being a people of prayer. And what it looks like for us to sit still before the living God and know that he delights that we get to be with him and he delights to be with us. One of the greatest privileges in the world is that the living God of the universe wants us and wants us to be with him. And so this is a little bit of a continuation of that, but specifically when we are a praying people, sometimes what we're doing when we're praying is we're just asking. We're asking that God would show us this, grant us this, move in this way. And so what we're looking at today is we're going to have about three weeks where we're going to be focusing in on how do we treasure Jesus in decision making? How do we make decisions in a way that are pleasing to the Lord? And so today we're going to begin um, with looking at Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. We'll actually be looking at several passages, uh, but as you uh, turn there, I just want to again give a shout out to those who are serving so faithfully. Um, we over the summer only have our kids treasuring Christ uh, up through ages 0 to uh, 4. Um, even today we only have it 0 to 2, but come mid-August we will have our kids uh, all the way from zero to age 10. And, uh, and so we're thankful to God for all of those workers. And we need some more workers. So if you are able to serve with our kids, uh, please uh, let us know. You can just send an email, info at tccrally.org. Also, while you're still turning to Matthew chapter 6, um, I, unlike Pastor Ranjur, I give you a little more time to get there. You know, I don't know how to respond. Pastor Ranjur, he gets up here, he says, and when you're there, say I'm there. Like, dude, I just like turned on my screen or opened up the, you know, okay, give me a second. So um, anyway, uh, we have a team right now of mostly uh, teenagers led by Pastor Travis who have gone to Moldova. And they are overseas right now working in a youth camp. Moldova is uh, the poorest or one of the poorest countries in Europe. And it is the highest population of sex trafficking that happens in that European bloc. And so we are going there to pour into uh, teenagers and to care for them and to work and be a part of a, a church planting work that's happening there. And so just be in prayer for our team. Do we have a picture of our team or did, were we able to? Okay, we don't have that. Oh, we'll send you a picture. We sent you out something earlier, but um, there is a, a team that is out there and we just covet your prayers for them. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, if you're there, say I'm there. Come on, that's right. That's right. I got a lot more amens. Okay, here we go. Let's, uh, let's uh, hear from the word of the Lord, then I'm going to pray and we'll dive in. God's word, his living word given to us, infallible and perfect, given to us for life and godliness. It says this, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Just look, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Just consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, don't be anxious. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Because the Gentiles or the pagan nations, they seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, I ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit you would take your word and that you would change us. You would rip away our discouragement and you would give us courage. You would take away our hopelessness and you would fill us up with hope. You would remove the despair and you would give us a sense of your peace and joy. Father, we pray that you would cut down all the hardness in our heart and you would make us soft and ready to hear your word. Father, we need you. And Father, I am so thankful. I'm under no illusion that I myself have the power to do anything in this moment. And so Father, I just lean on you. I plead for you to come in power. Get victory for your name. Bring people from darkness to light and strengthen your church. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Decision-making. We do it all the time, don't we? Decision-making. What types of decisions? Like, what did you make this morning? Like, okay, what should I wear? What should I eat? Should I go to church or not? Thanks, I'm glad you came. What should I watch on TV this afternoon? Should I take a nap or should I not? What boundaries should I put on my children? Or what freedom should I give them? How can I maximize the most rest in this afternoon before a very busy week hits? We're asking ourselves these questions all the time. Let alone the big things. Whenever you think of decision making, you think of future, like major life issues. Who should I marry? What about What job should I take? Should I take this promotion or not? What career should I pursue? What degree should I go after? How should I spend my money? What bill should I pay first if money's a little tight? Should I discipline my kid for that or not? Should I pursue my spouse or should I give them space? When there's relationship tension, should I talk or should I just listen? Should we go as a family here and travel here for a vacation or should we save the money? Friends, we do this all the time. Some of you go to work. I know with COVID, working at home has become uh, more of a thing. But when you go to work, you have to decide, what time am I going to wake up? Which route am I going to go to work? Thankful for GPS, it'll tell you, you know, which one's a little quicker or not, you know. But you're making these decisions. Once you get to work, you either have a boss that's told you what you do, or once you sit there, you're having to manage your own day. How how should this go? What should I do first? What should I do second? This is why we love routines. Because if you're not tired already from that list, I tell you, you are tired. We have decision fatigue. Decision fatigue is a real thing. And decisions to be made can be more paralyzing than ever. In some cultures around the world, they don't have enough choices. There's famine and extreme poverty. But in America, we have too many. We have too many. I know you don't think that's the case, but we have too many. 
in his book Paradox of Choice, a man named Barry Schwartz, tells of his trip to a moderately sized grocery store. So we're not talking Super Walmart or Super Target, just a moderately sized grocery store, 285 varieties of cookies. Come on. 13 sports drinks, 65 box drinks, 85 kids' juices. My kid does not need that many choices. 75 iced teas, 95 types of chips and pretzels, 15 kinds of bottled water, 80 different pain relievers, 40 options for toothpaste, 150 different types of lipstick, 360 types of shampoo, 90 different cold remedies, 230 soup choices, 75 instant gravies. Serious! 75! 275 varieties of cereal. Now that aisle can make me exhausted. 64 types of barbecue sauce, 22 types of frozen waffles, one trip. And there's still more. How many of you have looked at Netflix in a while? How many of you have sat and looked at some type of streaming service and gone through all of the different movies just trying to find something to watch and after 15 minutes of wasting your life, you have still not found something to watch? Three, over 3,000, this is on Netflix alone, over 3,000 movie titles and over 6,000 total titles. And don't get me started on streaming options. Everybody is coming up with their plus this and plus that. And then you can get Hulu Basic or Hulu Premium. You know, just give me a break. We have too many choices. And we wonder why we don't think we have any time. What it does is it creates indecisiveness. And we live in a constant sense that we should have chosen something else. Because we always think there's something better. Therefore, many times we have two options. One is you make decisions but you don't finish things. Because To finish something to the end means you are not capitalizing on as many things as you could have chosen. So you don't finish things. You bounce from thing to thing, hoping to find the promise that all the marketers tell you your life will be satisfied if. Watch this, you'll find rest. Get this, you'll be at peace. All the greatest longings are promised to us with our decisions. Some of us, then, we just don't make decisions. So some of us make decisions and we don't finish things. Others of us just don't make any decisions because we're waiting on the perfect. We're waiting on that thing to get perfect. Newsflash, this world is broken. Sin has entered and you will not find perfect fulfillment on this planet. And everything will let you down but Jesus. I know that feels like the bear of bad news, but it's actually good news. Because when you have right expectations, you will find greater joy and peace. So some of us struggle to endure. Others of us struggle to make decisions, waiting on the perfect and never acting. Marriage can be this way. I've seen so many people put off marriage Over and over. People are getting married later and later. Waiting to capitalize on their freedom. Waiting for the perfect spouse. That's not all of you who are single. I'm not saying that at all. And marriage is not the goal of life. Singleness is a gift. And we need to live to the glory of God as a single. Or live to the glory of God as a married person. But if you desire to get married. Be careful. Not to allow the culture standard of perfection. To blind you to those that are out there that would be perfectly good spouses who love Jesus and who encourage you. Sadly, our culture also tells us in the movies that you're promised a life 
where problems and disagreements aren't as common if you're in a good marriage relationship, where the sex is amazing, where family life is not drama, you're going to experience great adventures, and you have all these great expectations, and yet it under-delivers. And so what do we do? We wonder why spouses then go silent at unmet expectations or they blow up in anger when people aren't meeting their needs. Or sadly, we just begin to cancel each other or we quit altogether. But what if the goal of marriage were to develop a friendship? And I don't know if you've ever had a friendship, but friendships are messy. And the closer people get to you, the more they're going to hurt you. A friendship says, I'm going to stick with you. And I want to be for you, even though sometimes I'm a selfish mess. Friends, we have an overemphasis on decision making. And sometimes we have an overemphasis on fulfillment. We're really trying to create heaven on this earth. We leave people because, let's just be real, people are drama, right? But then we realize, oh wait, we're people too. Oh wait, we're drama. (laughs) So it's just, this gets really difficult. If you haven't heard the theme so far, we have to be careful to quit less and endure more. Ecclesiastes talks about this as everything is Vanity is the way it's translated in some scriptures. It's actually the word for smoke. Everything is like smoke. And so when you try to grasp smoke, it looks like a real thing. But when you go to hold on to it, you can't grab hold. This life was never meant to have your permanent grasps on it. Because you were created for another world. You're created to be with the living God of the universe. He is the one that is solid and stationary. That's why when Solomon, he had everything. Everything you could ever want. He still said, everything felt like vanity. Because even after you got everything you want, you still weren't happy. Here's a quote from a man named Kevin DeYoung. I have been, I've read this book a few times. It's called Just Do Something. I actually have a few copies out there on the greeter's table. Um, we're selling them at a discount for five bucks or whatever you can afford. I just want to get these in people's hands. But this is a really helpful book. I don't agree with every book. Uh, I don't agree with everything in any book, really, but except the Bible. And this book right here, though, is very good. And so I encourage you with it. He says this, quote, I'm trying not to squash all your hopes and dreams, really. I'm all for taking, for risk-taking dreams, for big risk-taking dreams. I'm not against people leaving their unhappy jobs to take a shot at what they really love. But as a counterweight to make your dreams come true stuff of graduation speeches, we need the firm reminder that many of us expect too much out of life. We've assumed that we'll experience heaven on earth and then we get disappointed when earth seems so unheavenly. We have little longing left for our reward in the next life because we've come to expect such rewarding experiences in this one. And when every experience and situation must be rewarding, there can't be anything that's just kind of normal. Everything has to be a little bit better. When every experience and situation must be rewarding and put us on the road to complete fulfillment, then suddenly the decisions about where we live and what house we buy and what dorm we're in or whether we go with tile or laminate, they take on weighty significance. There is just too much riding on every decision. I'm pretty sure most of us would be more fulfilled if we did not fixate on fulfillment quite so Well, then what do we fixate on? (laughs) If If we're not supposed to fixate on fulfillment, I would actually say it's fulfillment in another place. 
So what are your approaches to decision-making? Some of us have a decision-making minus God approach. That approach would be, I just make decisions based upon what I want. What I want. And honestly, I don't think about God a ton. I think about him maybe before a meal, or I think about him if I go to church, but when I make decisions, I just decide what I want or my kids want, and I do it. Well, you were created to have your life and heart shaped by Jesus so that he would make you wise. Wise is not smarter. Wise is a life that is shaped by God. So that you know what is beautiful and right and good and what to go after. And so if we put God on an off-limits basis, God, you can speak in here, but don't speak into my money. Don't speak into what I watch. Don't speak into my marriage. If we have the off-limits moments, that's the place where life will begin to destroy us, even though we think we're in control of it. That's the decision-making minus God approach. Others, there's an approach called the hyper-spiritual approach. And this comes from a really good heart, which is, I want to please God. I want to please God with my life. I want my life to matter for Him, and I want to do what He wants me to do. But sometimes this can go too far. It's this belief that God has this secret will for your life that we are supposed to know. God feels almost like He's playing hide and seek. And so He's just hiding so that we'll keep pursuing. So we pray and we pray, but we're waiting on a peace. We're waiting on an audible voice. We're waiting on a vision. Sometimes we'll open up the Bible and go, boom! That verse. And then when it doesn't work, close it, start again, open up, boom, that verse. Trying to find anything that breaks open the door that says, this is what I should do. Now, don't get me wrong. I wholeheartedly believe that God moves in supernatural ways, that He moves in subjective ways. But this belief that there is this one path that is secret, known only to God, and that we have to keep trying to find it. And, this is the way I was brought up, and if you miss it, then you have missed the blessing of God in your life, and now you're on path B. Friends, I've made so many bad decisions, I'm on path like double Z. And it's like, if that's the case, then you're not on path A, then you are missing so much of the blessing of God. That is not how the Scriptures talk about decision making. I remember making a decision on going to college. I had two colleges that had given me some scholarships to academics, play some tennis, and I did not know what to do. And I literally had to make a decision by like 9 or 10 o'clock, maybe it was even midnight that night, and I'm sitting there and I'm sweating bullets because like this changes everything, right? Like this could be where I meet my spouse, this could be like my whole friend group, I've heard about how your life changes your freshman year and, you know, the trajectory of all your life is going to shape in your freshman year. Man, what if I make the wrong decision? I've like totally lost my wife. I've totally lost my future. What if I, good night. This is too much pressure. Well, it's too much pressure because you're never meant to feel it. And this is where by the end of today you will see There is a God in the heavens who is sovereign and in control of all things. And He will move and guide His people where they need to go. And we need not fret that our God is diminished in His love for us because we might have made a bad choice or a mistake or have many regrets. Our God is full love for us and He will guide us and direct us. So, I want to offer another way. When we look at decision making, I want to offer another way. It's a way I call worship and wisdom. Worship and wisdom. Today we're going to focus in on worship. And then over the next couple of more weeks, we'll focus in on 
how that turns into wisdom. When I say worship, some people, if you've grown up in church, you think music. That's how some people talk, like worship is the song and then there's the preaching. But that's not how the Bible uses the word worship. Worship is finding your satisfaction in blank. That means we're all worshipers. You can find your ultimate satisfaction in your spouse. You can find your ultimate satisfaction in your kids. You can find your ultimate satisfaction in your bank account or your job. But the Bible says the only place you will find your deepest, most ultimate, peace-filled satisfaction is in Jesus Christ Himself. So the call is worship Him. And then all these other wonderful things that are gifts from God, you'll enjoy them even more because everything's in its right order. So how do we please the Lord? 30,000 foot view, we worship. We seek Him, we pursue what is clear, and we trust His providence and control over all things. And then we're going to look at wisdom. What does wisdom mean? It's when we are learning and living God's Word. It's when we seek a multitude of counselors. Pastor Josh will come next week and he will be walking us through just what it looks like to seek counsel and to live God's Word. Here's, here's just one passage that reminds me of that. Proverbs eleven twelve through 14 It says this, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. These are just three verses in the Bible that illustrate the Bible is meant to be learned, understood, it's meant to be lived, and as we seek to make decisions, We need to be getting input from others. Especially God's church. And then we need to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll be preaching a sermon on what it looks like to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so with that today, we're just going to focus in on worship. And it's got three main ideas. Seek Him. Follow Him. And rest in Him. How do we worship? What does worship look like? We seek Him, we follow Him, and we rest in Him. Now, this is where we dive into our first passage, Matthew chapter 6, the one I read already. Seek Him. Enjoy pursuing Jesus. You might be like, I thought we were going to talk about decision making, and you've kind of like pointed me in a different direction. Okay, I want to know like, what I should have for lunch this afternoon, or what my career should be, and you're pointing me left, not right. And the answer is yes. Very perceptive. That's exactly what I'm doing. Because, believe that's what the Bible does, God makes first things first. And the first thing is, in worship, it's seeking Him. It's enjoying pursuing Jesus. Many of our decisions are about the future, right? Uh, Probably all of them, right? About the future. What is going to happen? Who am I going to marry? Should I take the promotion? Should we travel? Etc. And we can be anxious and not sure what to do when we hear that the future is before us. Why do we get anxious? Just process it with me. We're afraid about certain decisions because we're afraid of what people might think if we make this decision. We're afraid we might miss out on something. We're afraid that we'll make such a mistake that it's irreparable. And in Matthew chapter 6, the passage I read earlier, it could be summarized very clearly by Jesus. Don't worry about the future. (laughs) If you're like me, it feels like easier said than done, right? I can really obsess and worry. I can wake up in the middle of the night worried about a a conversation that I had or worried about some future thing. I join you not as one who has arrived and have it all together. I join you as a fellow sheep 
needing to be led by the shepherd. But hear me, the shepherd says, I got this. He says, I got it. I'm holding the future. You can trust me. And whenever I get anxious, no matter what beautiful makeup I put on it, at the end of the day, it's unbelief. I'm not trusting that God is good or that He'll come through or that He has this. There's something about Him that I'm not believing. And then what do I need to do? If I'm not believing Him, then I've got to control it. Look at what our precious Savior says. He's saying, don't worry about the future. I've got this. And then he goes through all these different examples. He says, if I feed the birds, sometimes I just sit in my backyard and there's a ton of birds that fly all over the trees in my backyard. And when I sit in the backyard, I just look at them. And I'm watching just like some of them get in the ground and they're finding food. And I look at this passage and it says, God feeds the birds. Every time a bird eats, bird goes down, worm, come up, eats. God's doing that. And He says, if I'm taking care of birds, aren't you more valuable than a bird? Hopefully we can all say, yes, we are. We're more valuable than birds. And so, what's, the, what's He saying? If I take care of them, I will take care of you. The call is to trust. Then he goes on to say, okay, I don't know how many of you have worried. Answer all of you. But all of you who have worried, take a poll. Did the day get longer when you worried? Did you buy yourself more time worrying? Answer? Okay, that was a lame answer. Answer? No, it didn't. That's right. Actually, you lost time because your brain just went on for a long time on how to fix this thing, how to solve this thing. And then he goes on to say, some of you worried about clothing? Just look at how he clothes the fields and the flowers. He's going to take care of you. And then he goes on to say that he knows what you need before you ask. So the objection could be, God, do you really know what I need right now? It's this view of God that kind of, it's called a deistic view of God where He created the world, He spun it into existence, but He's not intimately involved. I want you to know that's not what the Bible teaches. It's, it teaches that He's involved in everything all the time. And He knows. He's not playing catch up. He's not ignorant. He knows every cry of your heart when no one else knows. He knows what you want. And even more than that, He knows what you need. And now the objection would be, well then why don't I have it? <laughs> because He knows what you need when you need it. And then you might object, well then, I, just, I don't think the way He's managing this thing is right and good. And then the only place we have to look is the cross. When this same Savior not only taught good messages, this same Savior lived a perfect life that we could not live. He died an unjust death because He was the only perfect one on the planet. And on a Roman cross, He was nailed and pierced, and mocked, and betrayed, spit upon, made fun of, and He sat there, and the weight of your sin and mine were put upon His shoulders, and because of love, He says, I'm going to take it, because I love you. Because I love you. You don't have an out that says God doesn't love you because He proved it on the cross. Any of you that have children, He crushed His only Son to say, I love you. He did that because that was the only way sin could get its just punishment and yet people could be 
forgiven. You don't want a judge that isn't serious about sin. But you can't have a Savior who isn't radical about mercy. And He was both. He was just to punish your and my sin. He didn't wink at it. He didn't let it go. He killed His only Son. Poured out all His wrath upon Him. Said that the Father forsook the Son like He turned His back on Him so that if we trust in Jesus, He would never forsake us. If you trust in Him, not work for Him, your work will always fall short. But if you trust in Him and you say, maybe for the first time, I need help. I can't do this. I've tried to live on my own for such a long time and it has only ended in misery and turmoil. I can't do it. Jesus, I need You to save me. I need You to make me new. If you just say, Jesus, I trust You. He comes and lives inside your heart. He takes that hard heart. He makes it soft. He makes you what's called a new creation. He gives you new desires, new affections, and a new mind that begins to understand the things of God and begins to love who God is. So when you're tempted to say, when you're having to wait and you really don't know what decision to make and you're tempted to say God doesn't love you, just remember the cross. He loves you. He loves you. And He invites you to seek Him. Isn't that what the passage says? After He's blown a hole in every one of our excuses... He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, so seek first the kingdom of God and seek His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek Him. Spend time with Him. This is when the real you meets the real God. It's when All of a sudden now, you are not seeking God for what He can give you, but you're seeking God for God. You're going after Him because you believe in Him is life. In my neighborhood, (laughs) we did an Easter egg hunt. And I've done some Easter egg hunts in my day, but this one topped most of the ones that I had been a part of in terms of eggs per square inch. There were so many eggs in our neighborhood and they were, I mean, not hard to find. They were everywhere and they had candy all in them and so all the kids gather around, all the adults were supposed to scatter these. I mean, I ran out of places to know where to hide these eggs. Like it was, we just, you know, eventually we just did this and threw them into the yard. And only if the grass wasn't mowed was it actually hiding them. You know, we're just throwing them to try to get rid of them. And then we said, go. And when I think of seeking, it's the look on these kids' faces. They were so excited to get these eggs and the candy that was in them. And for some of those eggs, I think, at least in previous years, they had like money in them. And so it's like, they were so excited. Now, the side of the children where they were ready to, you know, like, cut each other down and cut each other off and maybe hurt each other, that's not what I'm talking about. But the excitement, the going after something because they knew something great was there, this is what Jesus is inviting us into. Seek Him. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you Rest. Rest for your soul. He wants you. And He wants you to want Him. And the more that we spend time with Him, the more we begin to think like Him. And love what He loves and hate what He hates. In my marriage, we've been together over 25 years. Next year will be our 25th wedding anniversary. Yes, amen. I, it, I, yes, 
that's all for Dana right there. Yes, Dana, you endured. So, but there are times when we're talking and we will say the exact same thing at the exact same time. Why is that? Because we've been together a while. There are times when we'll finish each other's sentences or there's a time, she can just look at me before I say a word and she knows a bad joke is about to come. Like, she just, she knows, and this is why the Lord says, seek me. Because the more you're with him, the more you're like him. And the more you're like him, the more you will begin to know what he loves and what he hates. And the more you will grow in wisdom. Jesus says, don't worry about the future. I've got it. Seek me. Dear friends, we can treat God as a commodity to be purchased or a machine to be used, but He is a Father to be loved. He loves you, and He will not allow you to just use Him for things because anything that becomes more important to you than God will destroy your life. And He knows it. And so out of love, there are times He will withhold certain things from us so that we will not make those our treasure. He wants us to seek Him, to be still with Him, to love Him. And this passage is saying, don't fear the future and all these future decisions because God has it. You seek Me and enjoy that pursuit. But then you might say, but, but wait, like, what about all the decisions I've made that I just regret? Because many of us, what is a barrier to our worship of God is sometimes just shame. Shame of the wrong choices we have made. Shame of the wrong things we have done. And then the belief that God's not going to love me if I did all of that. And so then we feel like we've got to work ourselves back into His graces in order that He might be... That's not the Gospel. The Gospel is, He said on the cross, it is finished. And He says, trust me. And that includes your regrets, your mistakes. Because our God, the cross screams it, specializes in redeeming broken things. This is who He is. And so when I say seek Him, when the Bible says seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, it means bringing all of you, all your fears, all your regrets, all your bad decisions, and you come to the God of great reversals. You come to the God of forgiveness. You come to the God of change. You come to the God of second chances. You come to the God that gives sight to the blind. You come to the God who can heal the lame and give hope to the hopeless. You come to Him. He wants you. And if you live in regret, you will stop making decisions. And sadly, what happens is usually you keep making more bad ones. He wants you to be set free of being soaked up by the past and living in shame. And He wants you to look at His Son on the cross and He says, it's finished. I took care of it. And I'm with you if you trust Me. Trust Me. And so... Dear friends, I know it's probably not what you were expecting. Please tell me what to do next. But this is where we start. Worship. We seek Him and His kingdom. God cares more about who you become while you decide than what you ultimately decide. God cares more about who you become while you decide than ultimately what you decide. God cares as much about the journey as He does the end decision. And so we want to give the journey to the Lord. This doesn't mean we don't have long-range planning, that that's evil. But it does mean that this is more about pursuing God than it is about figuring out our future. There's a passage in the book of James, James chapter 4, which encourages us to, 
To plan, yes, but to hold our future plans loosely. Look at James chapter 4. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there or trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time then vanishes. He said, instead you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this and that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Like, I got the future. I'm making a great plan. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is one of the most helpful passages about the future. Our plan is to do this. But we're going to hold it loosely. You don't have to say, if the Lord wills, after every one of your sentences. But that's your heart. Lord, if you will it. And this is one of the greatest declarations that God is sovereign over all things. It's saying that everything that happens, somehow God is working according to His will. So we must seek Him and trust Him for the future. We must seek Him, and then the last two are shorter. We must follow Him. Dear friends, do what is clear in the Bible. Don't obsess over what is unclear. There's a reason why the Bible doesn't have constant appendices that says Sean Cordell should marry Dana Lynn. It doesn't say that. The Bible did not tell me to do that. It did not say this is what Sean should choose for an occupation. It didn't tell me to go work at Home Depot, which I did. It didn't tell me to do home inspections, which I did. It didn't tell me to go and be a pastor. It told me to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And He's going to guide me. But there are a lot of things the Bible does tell me. What does the Bible tell me? You want to know God's will for your life? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm just going to read verses 16, 17, and 18. It says, Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for this is what? The will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I know God's will for you. You know God's will for you. I just read it. Rejoice always. Be a person of, that doesn't mean you're only praying. It would get a little awkward when you're trying to talk to a neighbor, right? I mean like, it's a spirit of praying, a mindfulness of God at all times, and giving thanks in all circumstances. That's what we are commanded to do. When the Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for this is the righteous requirement of God. That's what God requires. It's not unclear quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's another passage in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And as you look at Colossians chapter 1, what we begin to see is, he says, we have not, in verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. So that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. What is God's will? His will is that you would walk in God's ways and bear the fruit of love. That we would be a loving people. Dear friends, this is God's will for us. God's will for us is really clear in the Bible. And so the more you read it, the more you'll begin to understand what God has for you. And just in case you're tempted to think, man, there's so many rules. I'm burdened. I'm weighed down. You're missing the point. It's an invitation into a life of freedom and joy when you're walking in God's ways. And get this, this is the kicker. When you trust in Jesus, you'll never lack His supply. He'll always give you what you need. You're not doing this on your own. It's not a burden. 
I remember I was counseling one woman who was trying to make a career decision and not really sure what she should do with her life. And you just start asking some general questions. You know, I knew that this woman was a believer. She was in our church. And is she in the Word? Is she um, praying? And I knew that this woman's life was, she was walking with the Lord and she was just really anxious about whether, what she should do in her career. And so as she had been seeking the Lord and she had been following Him, then I just gave a little bit of counsel. One encouragement. I said, if you choose this career, here's one warning and one encouragement. The warning is this. Don't try to take a career to prove yourself or to try to find yourself valuable. Jesus has already done that for you. God did that for us on the cross. We are all somebody because we are loved by God. Precious in His sight. He already said you're worth dying for and you're significant. Don't take a career to create an identity for yourself. You already have one. You're a child loved by the King and that's enough. Trust Him. We have to be careful. No matter our careers, teacher, banker, nurse, retail worker, accountant, military, social work, landscaping, whatever. Don't do a career for an identity, but do one from an identity. An identity that you are Christ's. I can't tell you how hard it is for me sometimes to not try to make pastor my identity. But way before I'm a pastor, I'm a person. I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. I'm imperfect. I have weaknesses. But I'm a child loved by the King, fought for, and told that I am worth dying for at Calvary. Dear friends, the warning is Don't do a career for, for an identity, but from one. America tells you what you do is your worth. Don't buy the mess. Your worth is in whose you are. That's your worth. And then the encouragement I gave was, go after it. If you're spending time with the Lord, and you've sought counsel, Go after it. Don't be afraid of failure. Failure is seeking a career over Jesus. Failure is making work more important than your family. Failure is not trying. Failure is not trying and then not being able to make it. I would rather... Someone start something and try it than to quit and not pursue dreams all because they're afraid they might not make it to the end. Let's let God worry about the outcomes and you walk forward in faith day by day. I can't tell you what that means. For some, it means don't pursue this career and do pursue this career. But I can tell you that the Lord will be with you and He will guide you. So how do we make decisions? We seek Him. And we follow Him in what is clear. What is clear is whose we are. What is clear is what He has called us to do. And then after that, we can rest in Him. We can trust His providence. We can trust His control of all things. I'm just going to run through a list of verses that tell you God is in control of all things just in case you didn't believe me. Ephesians chapter 1. In Him we've obtained an inheritance according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Can we say all things? All things according to the counsel of His will. Romans 8.28 And we know for those who love God, 
All things, can we say it again? All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Not some things, all things. Psalm 115.3 Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. All things. Psalm 24.1 The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So how do we think through this? What about even the sin in the world? You need to know the sin in the world cannot thwart God's purposes. Proverbs 16.4 The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God still has purposes. And He works things according to His will. And we see it clearly at the cross. If you look at Acts chapter 2, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God but you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Which one was it? Did they kill him or did God, was he in sovereign control? Yes is the answer. They killed him and they're going to pay for that, but God is in sovereign control over the whole thing. So the summary would be Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Our God is working through history so that when you look back at Matthew chapter 6, you can say, Our God can be trusted. He can be trusted. He has the future. The fancy term is called providence. It's His rule as King with fatherly love. His control of all things as ruler and King, but He does it not with an iron fist of anger, but with love as a father for His children. And so... I want to read Romans 12. This is one of the most famous passages on discerning the will of God and I think it can kind of summarize where we go today. He says, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to do three things. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Two, don't be conformed to this world. But three, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do you know what precedes those verses? It's where Paul just cannot stop but shouting and singing because God is in control of all things. He says, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he should be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And God's people said, that's right. God is in control of all things. He doesn't get counsel. He counsels. He's not needing you. He's giving to you. And therefore, it says, present your bodies. You give Him your life. All that you are. As a living sacrifice. We are living sacrifices day by day, moment by moment. We say, my life is for you. My body is for you. My marriage is for you. Sex is for you. My money is for you. My thoughts are for you. My kids are for you. My job is for you. My hands and feet are for you. All of me is for all of you. Yeah, John Legend kind of got it partially right. Right line, wrong object. All of me is all of yours, God. Once you can say that, then you can sing it to your significant other or whatnot. First things first, my whole heart is yours, God. My body is yours. And then he says, don't be shaped by the world, but be transformed, shaped, metamorphosis. You're you're brought together in your mind. Where do we do that? We seek him. We follow him. And we trust in this God who is in complete control.
I end with this. There was a man named John MacArthur who was counseling this dear man who was wanting to know what to do with his life. And he thought he might should be a missionary in France. And so he comes to John MacArthur to find out what he should do with his life. John MacArthur says, here's how I think about making these decisions. Five things. He says, are you saved? These are all S's. These will be helpful to remember. Are you saved? He said, yeah, I love Jesus. And then he said, are you spirit-filled? That was his way of saying, are you spending time in the Bible and in prayer day by day? Because he understood Romans 12, right? As you spend time with the Lord, he shapes you. He shapes you. So are you spirit-filled? Three, are you sanctified? That means, are you fighting against sin? Are you fighting to do what is clear in the Scriptures? Not perfectly, but are you fighting against sin? Four, are you willing to suffer no matter what God says? Are you willing to say, God, whatever you want, I want to do what you want. And then I added a fifth one, an S. Seek counsel. Have you asked somebody about what you should do? Obviously, he was doing that in that moment. And so then, do you want to know the punchline? Then do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. Do you know that that's biblical? Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's the principle of Romans 12. You, you present your body, you spend time with Jesus, He shapes you, He shapes your desires Go do something. Go do something. Make a decision. Step forward. But you're like, oh, but what if it's wrong? Guess what? We have a God who is in control of all things, who holds the future, and He will guide you. He will trust. You can trust Him to guide you. He will stop things. He will move things forward. So be prayerful. But walk forward. In faith. Dear friends, I've laid out a lot here. But I just remind you. Decision making begins with worshiping. So seek him for who he is. He loves you and he wants you. Then follow him. Do what is clear. And worry less about what is kind of gray and fuzzy. And unknown. And then finally, you can rest. That he'll guide you. He won't let you go. And He won't remove His blessings from you. He will continue to care for you as you seek to please Him day by day. This is worship. This is wisdom. This is how we begin to treasure Christ in decision making. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these dear people who have sat and endured through a lot here today. I just pray that they would never leave here without knowing that You care for them. And so right now I pray, God, that there would be a sense of peace in our hearts. We can trust you. So Father, I ask that for those who are not laying their decisions before the Lord, before you, that God, there would be an, an increase in prayerful petitioning and laying their life before you. Saying, God, guide us. God, shape our hearts. God, open up paths and close paths. Confirm through counsel. Guide us and direct us. But Father, help us to prioritize seeking Your face and doing what is clear in the Scriptures. Father, I pray for those who are paralyzed by indecision afraid that they're going to, quote, do it wrong. I pray that they would walk through that list and then trust that you are granting godly desires. And trust that where it's not, you will shape us. You will stop us. You will make things plain. 
But Father, there's a decision before the decisions. And the greatest decision I pray for right now is for some in this room that don't know Jesus. I pray, oh God, that you would, in this moment, take those who have never surrendered their lives to Jesus. And I pray that for the first time they would say, I'm a mess, I need help. Oh God, save me. I pray that God, today you would take those who have been living for themselves and they would say, I'm tired. And they would say, I want Jesus to make me new. And I know it won't mean a life of ease and perfection, but it will mean that you're with me and I need you with me. God, would you please change hearts in this moment? Thank you for your church. Thank you that you've created a group of people that are so broken and so messy but have found a glorious Savior and we can be unified around our need for Jesus. And so we sing and we hear from your word because we need each other. I'm going to take one minute right now and just let you kind of pray and talk to God. Lay your heart before the Lord. Lay a big decision before the Lord. If there's an area that's been off limits, lay it before the Lord by saying, Oh God, come. I don't want that to be off limits anymore. If you've been paralyzed by indecision, ask God for courage to make a decision. If you've been not seeking counsel, but just living your life on your own. Seek counsel, especially in the church. Right now, seek Jesus. Let's just take a few minutes, or one minute to pray, and then we're going to sing together.